You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the Midside, where back in our day, the Patriots only didn't score in the first quarter of the Super Bowl. I'm your host, Justin Mlesneski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show, especially maybe this episode because of all of the uh, crap that's going on internationally right now. And I don't mean crap as in like, oh, it's worthless i mean crap is in like there's a lot going on and everyone needs to have an opinion on it but before we get to that joining me this trip from his corner office in a place of harmony identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege william green hello hello yeah it's a a great day for michigan football fans we won the brown jug yesterday uh we didn't quite achieve a shutout like some other teams that played today uh, in the NFL, really, but, uh, <laughs> really, <laughs> but it was good. It was good. You know, uh, how many rings do the lions have? Oh man. How many, how many, uh, how many is way too few, way too few. I believe zero is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in other news, Justin, I've been vindicated. There was this, uh, 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 college recruiting that was open to women only, and uh, it was overrun by people like me who identify as women. I predicted this way back. I said people were going to have to start lying in order to get any uh, interaction or attention. When the best companies well, I- are there recruiting, you it, here they are, and they cannot stop them, right? I mean, how do you know how they identify? How dare you? Right. How dare you? Right. I think they went a step further than identifying as women, though. Didn't they identify as non-binary, which is even harder to disprove? Yes, yes. See, they didn't take the full plunge like I did, declaring my true self for at least, what, two hours every Sunday. Yeah, I mean, because that's really, declaring non-binary is kind of like the pussy way to do it. And what I mean by that, William, is like, you can continue to act as whatever gender you are and just say, well, this is just how I am. I don't describe to you gender binary. You can call me whatever you want. How many privileges were they able to forego by just being non-binary? I mean, there might be some arguments in the non-binary community, but at least I full-on go full feminist for for the purpose of this show every two hours. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between non-binary in the sense of people who... Have you ever noticed... Let me say it this way. Have you ever noticed that a lot of people who identify as non-binary are just acting more feminine or more stereotypically gay male? Yes. I I think that it's it's very cliched. It's sort of like the goth kids back when we were growing up, right? Like, they, the, the, there's a bunch of cookie-cutter traits that you can just put there. If that makes any sense. Um, yeah, I think for our Halloween episode, you should identify as goth. Oh, okay. Your Christian privilege. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. I might take, I'll take that under advisement. But of course, when we're talking about religion, William, I think that hits on the hot button issue of the week. Let's get into it in Life on the Midside. Take a good look around. Just like I'm on a roll here, I hope this is making 
As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do through do blah, 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 do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support, including and perhaps most of all affirmations. And yes, I'm leaving that blah, 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 blah in because... A lot of times I think I just talk a lot of gibberish and a lot of nonsense. And William, I need you to check me right now. Because everyone is talking about Israel right now. And I don't want to. I don't want to. And <laughs> wait, wait, even wait. more. <clears throat> it's the But it's the latest thing. You must talk about the latest thing. Right? Well, why? Is it, isn't <laughs> it just know. because that's what's in the algorithm? So people talk about it in the algorithm? Yeah. I mean, I know why it's in the algorithm. I don't want to discount the terribleness that's happening over there but i mean what right. more is there to say i mean right there's a there's so, there we see the true colors of a bunch of people coming out promoting a rape culture a literal rape culture right uh showing videos of actually people getting kidnapped and raped and we're supposed to believe black is white and white is black and and that uh i think there was a great tweet about uh what did you think uh, from a leftist saying, what did you think anti-colonialism means meant as a response to this? And a bunch of people going back and saying, this is what we thought you meant. <laughs> and uh, yeah, what more is there to say? I don't think there's a lot to say here. I think it's uh, pretty clear. I, if anything, it's, uh, if anything, it feels like uh, what Scott Adams has been saying about uh, he's uh he he has a reframe about we're living in the uh, in in a simulation and this is just like the season finale sort of thing right like we're we're getting whatever's the craziest most uh, uh, narratively interesting thing to happen is going to continue to happen. But well, yeah, that was an episode of South Park, right? Where Earth was yeah. just a reality show for yeah. aliens. You remember that one? <laughs> yeah. Well, and isn't that kind of part of it though? That. You know, he's saying it's a simulation, but isn't that sort of catch a stab me in the leg? Uh, isn't that kind of how we treat social media, where we turn everybody into entertainment for ourselves? So the rest of the world is just a reason for us to pontificate and prop ourselves up as if we have something to say. Like, even look, the amount of thought you put into the whole situation is more than I've even thought about it. <laughs> well, and. To be honest, I only thought about it because it was listed on the on the outline. <laughs> so that's just and and uh, to be honest, because it is all over my feed doing show prep, uh, you know, the last basically thirty six hours, right? It's uh, it's it's just all over the place, and it, you know, we often talk about what's the reason, you know, the reason for the show to witness the farce, and. For once, I don't think there's a lot of farce here other than the Twitter stuff, but that's that's just normal farce about any political topic that we're seeing here and seeing people's, you know, seeing people's premises come to life, right? Like in, in, in their in their words and in their behaviors. Um, you know, Justin, there's a bunch of uh, pro-Palestinian groups um, uh, doing uh, celebrations here in the United States on college campuses, Harvard, uh, this uh, this weekend in particular. But these are all things that we've talked about before that have happened before. This isn't surprising at all, right? Um, so I don't know that there's anything really new here. 
if anything, I think as, you know, as someone who's trying to live life on the midside, it's to find other things to, to talk about and, and, and do, I mean, there, this is, this is a tragedy for sure. This is, uh, tough, but I'm fairly confident Israel can handle it. And there's nothing really that I can do about any of it. Right. And getting all hyped up about it. Um, and, uh, spewing 87,000 tweets is not going to do anything other than, you know, make, I guess, make you feel good in some undetached way. But yeah, hey, and that was the, we're building, we're building the good to. life, you know, and, uh, it, it sucks. There's evil in the world, but I already knew that. And I, th- I think that's a, a great way of putting it. There's evil in the world. And we already knew that. Because this is something we've talked, like you said, we've talked about all this stuff before, and I've I've intentionally, in the way I've talked about it, tried to make it uh, disconnected from the the concretes, the specifics of what's going on, and try to pull out the abstracts. Because we've talked about these things before, and I think Bill Burr had a bit about it. Maybe it's something I only heard him do, um, like in a comedy club in L.A. I don't know if it's in his special, but it's the idea. Did did we talk about it, or was was it him when he was talking about? Uh, when the abortion stuff happened and then people were mad about what was people in New York city were like mad about what was going on in Mississippi or whatever. Do you remember that? Oh, a little bit. It's ringing a bell. Well, the, the point being, this is sort of the same thing here, right? Like this doesn't really affect me in any way. And related to that, like you said, there's no way I can affect this in any way. And that's sort of the converse, the inverse question before. Is it narcissistic to always have to have something to say? Well, William, is it narcissistic to never have anything to say or to only talk about things that you have worthwhile things to say about? Like I said, I don't have any worthwhile things to say about it other than the minor witnessing of the farce, which gives me a chuckle on Twitter about these reactions. But yeah. other than that, there's nothing. I don't know. I just can't. <clears throat> I can't, uh, I can't see why, what I can, what, how it connects to anything that I can help with right now. Right. I think that's what it comes down to. Right. There's no big cultural issue at stake. We already knew these folks were evil. They're already, we already know there's entrenched, uh, folks on the left who, who think this is good. Right. And, and this, this, this doesn't, this doesn't unveil, unveil any new information. Right. Right. And terrible things happen across the world every day that we hear about or don't. And we're not obligated to have intellectual or emotional responses to them. Nope. Disagree? I'm sure uh, uh, Iran and all the other folks will have tons of things to say about this uh, in months after uh, after the fact. But, uh, but there's nothing really... I mean... It, it's well, well didn't, didn't Iran like serve in the Israeli army? Yeah, yeah. So maybe listen to him and not us. Exactly. Like, if you turn into this show and you're like, I wonder what the mid side has to say about what's going on in the Middle East, what's wrong with you? What because it says mid, we have something to say about the Middle <laughs> East? Like, this isn't welcome to the Middle East, it's welcome to the mid side. So, ready for the the worst, most tone deaf transition in the history oh of welcome to the mid side? It's more important, Justin, than than terrorism in Israel. I want to know your opinion on slides with socks. 
No, <laughs> I'm serious about that. I want to talk about that. But no, it's the, 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 the real transition here is I'd rather talk about something that's bugging me and something that I see as a distinctly Florida thing. And it is around me every day. Slides now, with socks have been around since the 90s. Or socks with slides, whichever way you're supposed to say it. I remember I remember tons of soccer players doing that, especially especially in Michigan, uh, especially the women, especially in Michigan, because in the spring, it's fucking cold. And so they would put socks over their slides, walk from the locker room out to the soccer field. Wait, over their slides? Well, not over the slides, over their feet. <laughs> okay. And uh, And walk out and then put their cleats on. Okay, well, so I agree with that, right? I used to do that growing up in Massachusetts, right? It was yeah, definitely a soccer thing. Yeah. Where, yeah, definitely. You gotta keep those Especially toes in the from cold. frostbite before you put them in your soccer shoes, <laughs> which also, also, by the way, are not very well insulated. Yes, that's true. But here's my thing beyond that unique situation, right? So, say you're an athlete, it's before or after a game. I can understand that. Yeah. What I am talking about, William, is. This is something that happens distinctly here in Florida, or I've noticed it in Florida for the first time, because I don't remember in California. Then again, I wasn't around most people, people wear, the way I am. People just wear thong flip-flops in California, don't they? I, I don't know. You're going to you're gonna have to tell me. I'm talking about people walking around all day with slides with socks on. And the kids, if you wear slides without socks... Make fun of you for, they say you have your dogs out, right? You have your feet out. Wasn't it that when you wore sandals and socks or slides and socks before you got made fun of for being weird? Yes, absolutely. And here's my question for you, William. What is the purpose of socks? To hide your shame. What? What do you mean? <laughs> I'm just joking. I, well, I mean, that's what it is, right? They're kind of, uh, kids are, are saying, oh, you have your dogs out. It's kind of a subtle shaming. So, Well, yes, that's what they're doing now. There's, yeah. there's a weird thing now about feet, right? About uh, they're to be grossed out for or they're super intimate, right? Isn't that like a meme on the internet, like feet pics? Oh, yeah, like, that's true. Maybe fetish, somebody can explain that where feet? Yeah. Yeah. When when did this happen? I when don't know because you know fetishized? what? It, I, I think that you're connecting it to something because there's a bunch of things about. Uh, there was a champion that Riot Games just released uh, on League of Legends, and someone people like pointed out, "Oh my god, she has bare feet," and this is like foot fetish or something. And I remember looking at it and saying, "What are you even talking about? It's like part of part of the character that she's like a prisoner and she's like, like, you know, she's like in rags." Right? Of course she's not gonna have socks or shoes. <laughs> right. <laughs> like not going not going full, they can't shave in uh in uh uh Walking Dead uh territory here. I'm not saying that. I'm just <laughs> saying like it makes sense with her the theme of her character. Like <laughs> like uh this wasn't her like her, wasn't her in a porn shoe with her feet out, right? Well, right. And that's what's interesting here, right? Because that's why Our I asked about the, the inverse. New boobs. I think you've. Been, I think we need to have this discussion. Or feet the new boobs. Then, not what I was intending to ask. Are we gonna have? Right. Are we gonna have side side feet like we had side boob? What is it? Can somebody tell us 
what is sexual about feet? So first of all, know. midsiders, as, <laughs> what is sexual about feet? But I want to go back to my socks question, okay? okay? Because this is what I thought the purpose of socks was. I thought the perfect purpose of socks was to wear inside of your shoes to collect your sweat so that your shoes don't smell. Because if yes, you wear and shoes also without to reduce, socks, reduce um, calluses and uh, blisters, right on your on your feet. Okay, if you wear if you wear so the, shoes without socks, you will get blisters. And in fact, you know when when I was deployed, it was very important to change your socks, right? Because you could get blisters really easily. Right. Well, and I know that, because that I grew be. up with eczema on my feet, yeah. and thankfully, as an adult, it it went away. But I always change my socks multiple times a day. Like if I'm going to work out, I don't wear the same socks I was wearing during the day. So I have a clean pair of socks on to keep. That's just a habit I picked up for, for working out. But that's, that's the point I'm making about the slides and socks thing. Whereas we were talking about for some reason, feet are being seen as intimate and personal. And no, I'm not sexualizing socks. However, I am saying, Based upon what we just said the purpose of socks are, they're definitionally underwear. It was always socks and underwear. They're part of the underwear. Socks are not meant to be shown. And I actually, William, find it kind of off-putting that I have to look at people's socks all day, especially because they're not designed to be aesthetically pleasing. So I actually think it, it, it ruins or it lowers the quality of culture by dressing in this way you see what i'm saying yeah so i'm guessing you're not buying a bunch of bald brian's uh, designer socks with the uh, crazy patterns on it and stuff then well you can have socks with crazy patterns and stuff that's for yourself i mean yeah i have long socks they, they call them like rock'em socks there's a brand here in orlando that i wear with my wrestling shoes like i bought a pair of long like Ducktail socks that I wear with my wrestling shoes. I have Gambit that I wear with my wrestling shoes. I have Patriots. I have uh, Clemson. But those aren't meant to be shown. They're for me. You know what I mean? And yeah. they go over the top of the... They're longer than the shoe, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you can see them. And that's just the style there. But the idea of walking around in sandals and socks or slides and socks, I find that grosser than... Yeah, I'm trying to think of like... The higher your feet. socks are, the like more nerdy you, you were growing up for us too, right? Yes. So there's yeah. a there's a there's sort of a point of view in fashion. Um, it kind of comes from architecture, but it, it goes in all sorts of fashion. Is basically Justin. We should be looking back like thirty or forty years, and whatever was uh, back then is detestable now. So whatever was ever in fashion back then is detestable now, and then uh, but then also within the next five to 10 years, portions of that will be brought back. Um, so, so I guess right now that would put us what in the eighties, right? So, uh, so, uh, you know, what are eighties fashion, uh, will be coming back. So in that case, I'm trying to think like long tube socks were like all the fashion back in like the seventies. Right. You can't, th- I can't think of anything that wasn't, no, I wasn't alive then, but like thinking of like television and stuff like that. Right. Um, so, Maybe the maybe the longer socks are coming back, uh, more plainer socks. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I just I just don't like it. So I th- I feel like this stop is wearing socks with to... slides. Yeah. First of all, stop wearing slides in public. Stop. Wearing well, Crocs. and that's the other thing. Wear actual that, that, shoes, that, that... dude. Fashion right. fashion shoes. You can go to Ross, get nice looking shoes, 
for like five dollars. Yeah, they're only the last couple months, but you could be fashionable with your shoes. If you're afraid that you don't have shoes that fit the occasion, you can afford the Ross shoes. I'm telling you. You don't even need to do that in Orlando. We have so many outlets here. Just go to the outlets and you can get cheap shoes. Look, I'm glad you said Crocs because I made a decision when I was at Disney World the other day. And that's it. If that's that is if I ever committed an act of domestic terrorism, it would be to bomb a Crocs factory because <laughs> I agree with you about Crocs. Like, I get them for Crocs? nurses. Do you wear socks with Crocs? I don't know. The oh, they program. do all the time, too. It's the same thing. Not, at school, 90% of what the kids wear are either slides with socks or Crocs with socks. With a fox on a box. That's a bad Dr. Seuss reference. But wow. um, but how do they... I mean, is this is this coming down to the all the rich people dressed like slobs fashion? No. Or are there no, like designer com- Crocs that I don't understand? No, this is... This comes down to the Netflix and McDonald's culture, where it is okay. the easiest and simplest thing to do. And they've convinced themselves that it's more comfortable. And that's why I have my joke I mean, about what great, I would but do. Like, how do you... like? How do you, uh, like, what is the equivalent of, like, people walking around in uh, in Nikes and Air Jordans and shit like that when we were in high school, right? Is there an equivalent to that? Oh, yeah. Who's, wearing, who's wearing the Amber Crombie or what, you know, no, the Yeezys, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, is that still around or is it just all? Yeah, that's still around. It's the... all not. It's more knockoff Yeezys. So the normal average person is wearing Crocs with socks or slides with socks. And then. People are, there are still some people who are shoe heads, they, they're still called that, who wear those fancy shoes. But then it's mainly those fake Yeezys that people wear because no one can afford the real Yeezys. But my problem with all of it is, you're not paying attention, as you said, to how you look. And wearing a shoe that's not meant to be worn all day is hurting yourself physically. Yeah. I do not understand, William, how people walk around Disney in sandals in slides, in Crocs. I am in shape, and if I walk around in a pair of Chucks all day, my legs and feet hurt. I think people get so used to running on pain. And I don't mean like physically running, I mean like they're operating on pain all day that they don't realize they can live pain-free. Do you get what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Yeah, I do. And that's why I would... Bomb a Crocs factory. But actually, I think this transition into our next story, our next bit of farce, which I consider a no-duh story, which is kind of the farce of this, where I find it interesting nowadays, William, that we have to have scientific studies to figure out things that we already knew. <laughs> I, I especially like this one, Justin. I especially like this one. So this is a study out of the Netherlands, and it says, Exercise or antidepressants? Study finds running just as effective for treating depression. First of all, William, isn't there something called a runner's high where you get your endorphins going? Mm -hmm. And And don't don't we know that that anything, physical activity, like men who survive depression, isn't it because they go to the gym? Like we all have. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. How how often have we talked about. Yeah. That working out and lifting weights will make your life better and as a man or a woman. Yeah. But men especially. 100%, like, I always say for that. Yeah. Men especially. Well, oh, yeah. Because of the testosterone component yeah. to muscle building. Yeah. But I will tell you, it is so much harder for me to deal with life when I don't get to the gym in a week. Like weeks when I get to the gym, they're just as hard. 
But like, th- like last week, man, this past week, I felt so off. The universe has felt off. But how many times did I work out? Like two or three times, maybe half an hour at most each time. And like when I did one day, like my traps were like twisted. Like I needed to use a Theragun like four days in a row because of that. It's just, I love when we need studies like this. So here's, here's a couple of quotes from the article, which I think raised the more important point. However, experts emphasize that simply advising patients to run isn't sufficient. More runners dropped out of the study with only 52% sticking with the regime compared to... I think that's regimen. And 80... Regi- you said well, regime. You say tomato, I say tomato, okay? <laughs> potato. You're supposed to say Potato. You are terrible oh, at the sunny and share thing. I'm terrible right. at it. Did you ski into a uh, pole or something? All right. <laughs> Not even a gay joke. All right. Compared to an 82% adherence rate for those on medication, the researchers added that while many patients like the idea of exercising, consistent participation can be challenging. Despite its clear benefits, more participants adhere to taking medication than maintaining a twice-weekly Twice, William, twice weekly. What I just said was a bad week for me. They couldn't even maintain. Exercise routine. The team emphasizes the importance of adequate supervision, leading into the next story, and encouragement when promoting physical activity as a treatment. Justin, let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. Giving people addictive drugs is 82% adherent. Does that make more sense now that I say that? Rather than running. Something that, you know, people aren't used to doing, right? But giving them some addictive drug, shouldn't that have been even higher than 82%? And that's just the adherence rate on the medication. That's not the effectiveness. We already know the effectiveness is better. So in other words, 82% of the people are now addicted to that drug, but less of them actually are less depressed. Than well, the you just said the effectiveness running, is better, but what? it's not. It's the same. You just said the effectiveness is better. It's not. It's the same. I I'm arguing that it's better because because what I'm trying to what I'm trying to say is you're looking at two cohorts right and you're saying they have the similar effectiveness but in one case 82 percent of them whether it was effective or not are now addicted to that drug whereas that 52 percent that uh are the 48 percent that stopped running at least they're not addicted to the drug right. Do you see what I'm saying? Like they they may have failed, yeah. but they're not addicted to drug. A hundred percent of those people aren't addicted to the drug now. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I, w- I want to connect the middle ground between what you're saying here because I think you're making an important point, and you're making an important point about big pharma and our culture. But the question is, really, William, why people would allow themselves to become addicted to drugs, right? When you know yeah. you can just run or work out, you look. You don't even have to run. Honestly, guys, going to the gym, if you don't want it to, it's not going to push your cardio the same way going to to running is going to do it. It's it's not going to be, I don't want to say it's not going to be hard because pushing plates is hard, but it's a different kind of hard. Like, I don't like running. I run I a mile know. now just yeah. because it's a, a personal goal I have, but it's not the same type of fitness as lifting weights. And even runners do look at, lifters in a different way and actually runners don't consider lifters in shape so i would even broaden this the results of this study to lifting weights 
But but the point is, either running or lifting weights, people know that working out is effective. But what's the problem, William? That requires effort. And that requires what most people call suffering. And this is a big, big problem I have, right? Even people within sports will say, oh, well, you have to learn to suffer. You have to learn to enjoy the suffering. And I I don't think it should be seen as suffering because when you see it as suffering, well, then what are you willing to do? You're willing to take the easy alternative. And again, to me, this goes back to the Netflix and McDonald's culture. Is Netflix not trying to get us addicted to their platform the same way Big Pharma is trying to get us addicted to these drugs? And what I mean by that is rather than think through and seek out what you like artistically, you just follow their algorithm and it gives you an appearance of enjoyment. And then what do you do? You just keep going back to them for your dopamine hit. Likewise, isn't that what they do? Oh, we know you don't really want to work out. So we're going to convince you you need a drug in order to not be depressed and we get more money and you get the feeling of, oh, I'm not depressed anymore or I'm dealing with my depression. It's really people have sold out values, right? The value of a good life for profit. It's putting profits above values, is it not? Yeah. And I think, you know, there's also a framing issue when you frame it as like suffering like i can't i can't motivate myself to go to the gym if i saw it as suffering i'm looking at right. it as like investment or like like you were right. pointing out like hey i have a better week when i work out like those are the ways that i right. like when i'm not feeling like doing it that those are the ways that i you know motivate myself to get up and go to the gym right is to be like you know i always do feel better after you know this helps me get through the week you know i feel stronger i like feeling stronger you know every bit of right. this hard work pays off right that's how i get up to go Right. Or saying, like, I feel low energy now, but I know once I work out, I'm going to feel higher energy. Yeah. 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 No, I agree completely. And But that's what they're preying on here, isn't it? It's the idea of, oh, all of this is suffering. It's, it's terrible. So instead, take a pill. I mean, it's sort of the the ethos that has been happening with the extreme version of industrialization. And what I mean by that is industrialization is a great thing, but if you take it too far and it's just, oh, um, uh, imagine you don't actually sleep and you can just take a pill and it, it rushes chemicals through your body that simulate sleep. So it's if your body is uh, recovering in the same way. Would the body actually recover in the same way? No, that's yeah. that process is necessary. And it's the same thing here with working out. You can't replace working out with drugs. It will never happen. It's the same thing with ADHD and ADHD. I think I said that right. Yeah. There's some letters there. Definitely most of the LMNLP. Different type of alphabet people, but still alphabet people, right? You will never replace the process of learning how your own mind works and learning how to focus with just giving kids drugs or excusing the behavior with certain types of actions. Yeah, there was a great story. I think we posted on the thread about someone pointed out that, uh, you know, people who use the ADHD drugs recreationally, it's just like cocaine, you know? Yeah, sure. You feel super confident and you can write 3000 words in 15 seconds, but then you read it after you're not high and it doesn't make any sense. Right. And, uh, and this is a uh, definitely prevalent in Silicon Valley culture for sure. 
Well, and that's been prevalent forever. I mean, the idea that kids remember in school when we were in school and it was like the kids who use marijuana were the smarter kids because they were engaging with the universe in a different oh, yeah. way. Oh, yeah. And people who do a lot of drugs, you know, in the 70s, didn't they say, oh, you need to drop acid, take LSD to open your mind more? Yeah. That's the only way to truly connect with the universe. Yeah. The only way to open your mind more is to do the intellectual work every day to make your mind function better. Just like the only way to grow your muscles is not simply to just inject steroids. It is to do the work every day. There are no shortcuts, unfortunately. Well, and it's interesting you say that because I think the last story we're going to talk about here is maybe a shortcut in a different way. And it's, I think maybe it embodies the sort of essential element of the idea that government is the shortcut to morality. And what I mean by that is Reason Magazine has a, is it still called Reason Magazine? I don't know. The I website so. Reason, Reason.com, Reason. right, has an article that's called Schools Are Normalizing Intrusive Surveillance. And what I found most interesting here, and because there's a lot anecdotally I can use to talk about this with my experiences in a public high school, where, it, I mean, I will tell you, William, it is like CCTV. And what I mean by that is they do have cameras everywhere. I mean, it's to the point, let, let me put it this way. I forgot a hat in my um, classroom the other day. So after practice, I went to my classroom to get it. And I was driving home one of my former wrestlers who, you know, she's now graduated and she comes back to help and she was at practice and she was walking with me towards my classroom right now she is over 18 but i still was very aware of aware of appearances there are no cameras in the classroom so i asked her to stand outside the building the, the not even the classroom outside the building my classroom is in so nobody could construe anything as being inappropriate now, I'm not saying there was anything inappropriate going on. You understand that, right, William? Yeah, but yeah. But do, you understand, <clears throat> do you, yeah. You, you understand why I did that? Yeah. Yep. So when I have plenty of anecdotes like that. everything is under surveillance, people act differently. Well, you have to. Yep. You have to. And that's what's interesting to me about the sort of these four paragraphs I want to read from the end of the article. Americans under the age of 30... Sorry, Americans under the age of 30 stand out when it comes to 1984 style in-home government surveillance cameras. Three in 10, 29% Americans under 30 favor the government installing surveillance cameras in every household in order to reduce domestic violence, abuse, and other illegal activity. The Cato Institute's Emily Eakins and Jordan GYGI, I don't know how to say that name, wrote in a June of survey results. Support declines with age, dropping to 20% among 30 to 44-year-olds and dropping considerably to 6% among those over the age of 45. I think maybe because the survey was administered online and everyone over 45 didn't know how to click the result button. But In fact, support for heavy authoritarian hand overall is gaining ground with young Americans. A survey of college students by the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression found... 45% said blocking other students from attending a speech may be acceptable in some situations. We may well learn what happens when a nation founded on liberty rejects liberty, fire executive vice president Nick Perino warns of such results. 
If young Americans ultimately reject liberty, it may result from trapping them in miniature surveillance states that defy every premise of a free society. Kids will grow up to value freedom only if they're raised in an environment where privacy and liberty are treated as normal and good. And there's the angle I want to take on this, William, is slightly different than what they're saying. I do agree with what they're saying, but I think they're approaching it from the angle of, oh, if you just get used to it, that's the way things are. Yeah. Where I think really what kids are getting used to is abdicating personal responsibility. This goes back to what we were saying about, oh, just take these pills and, you know, you won't be depressed anymore, right? You know, you don't have to exercise, right? It goes back to what I was saying. It's the whole Netflix and McDonald's thing. And what I mean by that is I believe government, the left, has been convincing people that the shortcut to morality is government, that government can make people moral, that government can get rid of evil in the world. And it's the example they use here, which actually I will link to our conversation about Israel at the top of the show with the Cato Institute's Emily Eakins and her partner in the writing, George G.Y.G.I., writing that Americans under 30 favor the government installing surveillance cameras in every household in order to what? Reduce domestic violence, abuse, and other illegal activity. William, I recognize that domestic violence, abuse, and other illegal activity occurs in other homes. I recognize that I am straight. Let me let's take a less strong example. I am straight edge. I think doing drugs, I think drinking is bad, but I recognize that occurs in other households. I also, William, recognize it is not my responsibility to take care of that decision because to me, that is a decision that is ruled by the morality of the individuals participating in it. Mm, And though all these different levels of immoral actions are more evil or less evil, you know, domestic violence is obviously evil, right? Sexual abuse is evil. Rape is evil. Murder is evil. Well, except for Palestinians do it. It's fine. Well, that's that's a different discussion. I'm trying to not get into that discussion. (laughs) (laughs) However, I don't think, A, it will ever be fixed by the government. I guess A leads to B. I don't think it will be ever be fixed by the government surveilling us more. And B, I don't think the government should surveil us more. And maybe yeah. that's what B is because of A, where because it's an individual choice, government should do it because it's wording, not going to fix Justin, it. The wording, Justin, is so important because the the way this always is couched and, and the way I think, you know, uh, uh, that you've you've kind of pointed out, but just to like draw it out even further, is this is obviously the way it's phrased. It's meant to get those other people right. We should be put putting cameras in other people's houses to to stop domestic violence. Do you see how that's like very implied in that? Right. It's yes. not just like in my house. Right. I was like, oh yeah, those other immoral people. Yeah, we should. Uh, yeah, those Trump supporters right. we definitely should be putting cameras in their houses to stop right. them from domestically abusing people. Yeah, definitely. Right. That's how it's couched. It's it's using it's not only using the lack of responsibility, like individual responsibility, but it's also using the us versus them, saying, Well, yeah, yeah, those those bad people, they need they need cameras in their houses. Yeah, definitely. Right, because and that's especially dangerous when it's it's 
uh, interlaced when it's integrated with the culture of subjectivism, because then it's whoever's in charge gets to define what the morality is. Whoever's in charge gets to define what domestic violence is. If I know anything from living in Baltimore for eight years, it's that the cameras, A, don't, don't work, B, don't help, and C, if something is committed... Uh, uh, under those cameras, the only thing that will be recorded or made available is the part that makes the city look good. So, uh, so that's, you know, that's just the way it is, right? Like that, you know, basically the cameras are where you have good lighting to commit murder in Baltimore. At least that was, uh, the, uh, from my uh, experience living there. Well, yeah, I mean, that's how Ray Lewis knew how to get away with it, right? Because he was so used to all the cameras in Baltimore. Was that too bad of a joke? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe you're getting tired, Justin. I mean, I am tired. and But I do agree with you. Like, dude, the cameras at school, like, they're so grainy. And it's so hard to tell anything. You really only know anything if someone reports that something happens. And then you, they look through it then. Because that's the other thing nobody wants to talk about, William. Unless you create an algorithm and an AI that is going to sort through everything... And how do you create an, that's a, the question, how do you create an, ally, an AI that sorts through all video for immoral actions? Unless you are, there's somebody sitting there, or an AI sitting there, looking through every minute of every footage from every camera, you really are only going to look at the footage of someone reporting something. Does that oh, make hey, sense? That's what they're trying to do with the grocery stores, right? Use AI to, uh, to tell if people have unusual checkout activity at the self-checkout so that they can go search their bags afterwards. It's like they forgot that when they started self-checkout, there was like, because I used to work at Walmart back in the day and I had to monitor the self-checkouts. Like, you're supposed to watch. Now nobody watches the self-checkouts anymore. Dude, dude, I can't get anyone's attention because, you know, here in in the uh, People's Republic of California, you have to pay for bags. So I can't even get a checker's attention to give me the bag that I just said that I paid for. Yeah, so that, not only they're not paying attention, they're me. actively not paying attention, right? Right. Well, because they don't have to, because it's the easiest job in the world now. They just stand there, and there's like one associate for like 20 self-checkout machines. It's ridiculous. Justin, I've gotten and home I- and realized that I didn't check something out. And I'm like, shouldn't someone have seen or like, you know, I just forgot something, right? Like it was in the bottom of my cart. I was like, how did I get out of the store without checking this out? Why didn't, like, it was not, you know, it's forgetfulness on my part. Like, I just, I had something under the cart, right? Like, on the bottom side of the cart. I was like, how did I go out without paying for this? I got all the way home and didn't even think of it. Until I got home, I was like, wait, this is on my receipt. How did I not pay for this? What that happened the point to me of the people si- standing there? Well, that I got one even worse for you. That happened to me at Sam's Club once. So I bought, I picked up a whole bunch of meat. <laughs> How and did they not? They they just draw the little marker on your on your on your uh, receipt and say, "Good to go, Justin." <laughs> That's what they did. And then I got home and I counted it. I was like, "Wait, I have more packages of chicken than I paid for." So I literally scanned it with the app and paid for it. And then I called the company to be like, "Hey, can you please verify that this payment went through?" Because I didn't want to like get in trouble for stealing and then be banned yeah. from Sam's Club for life. My, my item I mean? was like five bucks, so I said I, it was a wash for me. But yeah, I could understand if you're walking out with like thirty bucks of meat or something, or like. Uh... Well, I mean, it was back in the day when a pack of chicken was five bucks. Remember those days? Oh man, oh man. <laughs> but the point still stands, right? Like. 
I just happened to pick up one more than I, I wanted to, and I scanned everything, and nobody said anything to me. So, like, these things happen honestly. So imagine dishonest I remember people. growing up, I remember, you, I'm glad you mentioned Sam's Club, because I remember growing up tons of times when they would catch, like, miscounts of things, right? And they would be, it, it wasn't, like, accusatory. They would be like, oh, sorry, I remember them having a conversation with me. Oh, sorry, we only scanned four of these. There's five of them in here. We just got to scan one more. And mom's like, oh, yeah, there's five of them. I she didn't notice it. The checker didn't notice it. You know that's definitely happened before. But now you now imagine the confrontation now, Justin. Yeah. Well, because now we live in the surveillance age. Yeah. Right. Because of this, this is right. This is another element. The surveillance culture is another element of interpersonal hostility. The assumption that. And you said it very well from the different angle. It's not you that's doing something wrong. It's everybody else is doing something wrong and trying to get one over on you. So everybody else has to be monitored. Whereas before it was, oh, we just want to make sure everything happens properly for our business. Now it's, oh, we need to make sure nobody's stealing. I mean, that happened to me once at uh, Costco in California where uh, you know my girlfriend at the time and I bought hot dogs and then we were leaving. And... Rightfully so. You should not have to stand in line at the door at Sam's Club or Costco if you just bought hot dogs. Uh, do you disagree with that statement, William? That's completely true. It's completely reasonable, right? If I'm in a line of 10 people and you got a hot dog, please leave. I don't want you to stand here and waste your time. And we were leaving. Some ladies started yelling at my girlfriend for cutting the line. And I had to like get in her face and be like, look, lady, we just got hot dogs. Back up. But that's the interpersonal hostility. Yeah. It's, yeah. oh, everyone's trying to do something unfair. No context. All right. Well, I think that pretty much covers all of the farce that I wanted to talk about this week. Uh, anything that you want to talk about before we move on to art? I think I'm ready for some art. All right. Let's do it in The Hopeful Bromantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, I'm having real trouble with some of these reads this week, William. <laughs> like, do, do you hear the mispronunciations and such? Continue, Jeez. yeah. Yeah, continue, which sounds kind of weird out of context. But um, what's funny about it is I felt tired before we started recording, but I feel better now. So I, I don't know what's going on. This is like anyway, going to the wanna... gym for your mind, Justin. That's the lesson learned. No, the podcast is, dude. It is. It is. And like, I, I hate how during the week nowadays, I have less time to gather the farce because it keeps me less engaged. Because as much as I love teaching, do you know how hard it is to work your mind out when you're talking to teenagers all day? <laughs> yeah, Th there I, I are imagine certain... most of your quips go over, your, over their head. Oh, 100%. That's why if you even noticed on this show where I was like, oh, that was just a, a bad Dr. Seuss reference. Because that's what I do most of the time. I make some sort of quip and nobody responds. And I'm like, ah, this was the wrong audience. And they have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, right? just, like, just, and, like and, on, just like on this show, right? You make a, yeah. you make a funny quip. And you get nothing but the crickets, right? 
Yeah, well, it's, I mean, maybe... <laughs> God damn it, William. All right. So, yeah. Uh, that's why I need you all to join our Discord. I had a transition, but William completely knocked me off my game. But my transition back was, since I'm not as engaged with the farce, you are. Share it in Discord. You can also... Find out what we thought about things. You can look at the trailers before we release them. Just go to the midside.com and the midside.com class podcast. Click on any episode link. And in there, you will find a link to uh, our Discord channel. It's just Way to join. Step on it, William. Yeah, exactly. How long did it take you to dig out that the whole time I was talking? No, I just didn't want to interrupt the plug. I had already done it like three times. <laughs> it's all right. So. Said we were going to talk about some art. Well, William, unfortunately, I'm going to talk about the latest Saw movie. I believe I gave this one a uh, tackle, if I recall. Saw X? Yeah, you gave that a tackle? Yes, I did. Okay. Well, that's what I saw this week. And I have seen every Saw movie. You may ask yourself why. Because, look, the first three Saw movies are actually pretty good. So are you ready for my one-sentence review of Saw 10? I'm ready. By going backwards, the 10th installment moves the franchise forward. Now, what do I mean by this, William? Well, the first thing I mean is is very just mechanically, this movie takes place between, I believe, the first and second movies. So they kind of go backwards and they bring back Jigsaw, they bring back Amanda. These are characters that had died. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of political stuff we could talk about. And I don't mean like republican democrat politics i mean like politics with the studios and creators in regards to why the main stars got killed off but simply going backwards to that time period and having a movie starring tobin bell again was a very very smart choice because he is always what has driven the franchise he is a tremendous actor and this is the role sort of like ryan reynolds and deadpool that tobin bell was made to play but there's also something else that i mean in going backwards in that the first movie, the focus was not on the traps, but the focus was on the psychology of the characters and the philosophy of jigsaw. So it was a drama with horror elements. Now, as the franchise went on and we got into sequels and sequels, we had, you know, escalation, right? What what do I call it? I call it apocalypsitis. Yeah, the, the Saw size. version of that was more and more brutal traps that were more and more unwinnable, right? They were more um, precise and technical and mechanical, and they were more gruesome. You know, I, I remember like Chester from Lincoln Park, rest in peace, being in a movie, and he was like glued to a car seat. Like, how do, how does that do anything ever? What does that have to do with the whole entire premise of Saw? Whereas this movie, this movie, there is only one trap in like the first 45 minutes of the movie. And then as the rest of the movie happens and the whole game emerges and is played out, the emphasis is not on the traps where the traps are few and far between and quick three minute bites at most. And it's about the characters and the choices they've made and who they are and their interaction with Jigsaw, John Kramer, played by by Tobin Bell. So really, the first 45 minutes of the movie is a dramatic piece about 
an old man who is trying to deal with the fact, cope with the fact that he has terminal cancer. And I'm watching the movie for the first 45 minutes, and I'm like, what is this that I'm watching? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm enjoying this, but how many people who went in to see Saw came out and were disappointed that that's what they saw, that that's what the movie was? Now, as it goes forward, it becomes more of a traditional Saw movie, as I was saying, with the game and everything. But, William, isn't that what a good movie's supposed to do? Lay the exposition, have all this background on the characters that show how they're trying to end up where they are. Yeah. Characterization and narrative setup is something that we do not do in modern Hollywood, right? Everyone just is, they just have their, we've talked about this before. It's, it's very classicist, right? Like you are this archetype and you know, you, you're the, uh, you're the unerring female heroine, Uh, or you're the bumbling white male, right? Like these are just, you're just those things and you're just supposed to pick up their entire backstory just by the the caricature. Right. And it's almost vaudevillian what we have now. Correct. It's, it's as, as Ayn Rand would call it, it's pulp romanticism is what, is what we would have nowadays. Everything's pulpy. You know, this is largely due to the marvelization of everything. And and I've talked about before the lack of falling action, right? How we hit the climax and then once the climax is over, we end the movie in the next five to ten minutes. Well, Saw X really helps us see that it's the rising action and the exposition in the beginning that we're really missing as well. Because the game would not have the same significance in this movie if there wasn't all the rising action. There wasn't all the rising action. So this is what I'm going to say. This is one of the better entries in the Saw franchise. Uh, I would give it a solid bro rating. Three out of five stars. Do I think it's a great movie? No. Do I think it's as good as the first Saw? No. Do I think it's as good as Spiral, the book of Saw? No, because I think that movie had tremendous things to say, if you remember when I reviewed it, about the social justice movement and and what's wrong with it. Whereas in that movie, the, the jigsaw copycat was, was someone with a social justice perspective. And I think Chris Rock did some daring things in that movie. Now with this movie, I think that it's getting a lot of praise or it's going to get praise because the complexity of the character development arises some sympathy for jigsaw because he was wronged in this movie. And he is a terminal cancer patient. Patient, And I think in our, our age of sympathy for the devil, naturalism and all of these things, it, that it's getting praised for that reasons. But ultimately, he still is a villain and he still is the horror monster. And I think this just makes it more interesting to show it on this level and to show that he can make some good choices. There is a, a subplot with a, a child and him saving a child that is a little complex that shows there are good sides of him. So I don't think that that's necessarily a knock against the movie. It's only a knock. If you're one of these dumb people that, you know, remember William where people would celebrate Walter White and breaking bad and say he yeah, was a hero. Just bring up breaking bad. Yeah. They, 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 they see him as a hero. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of similar here where in breaking bad, the whole point was, uh, 
he was Breaking Bad. He was becoming evil. I mean, I, I, I still think, even though I don't love the show, I still think it's a brilliant portrayal of what happens when someone be how and how what happens you, when yeah. someone becomes truly evil. How your make you evil. Yeah, exactly. Right. How you delude yourself right. into evil. Right. And there's something similar about Jigsaw here. And, and there's something similar about John Kramer here, which I think is interesting. So again, Saw X, I would give it a solid bro rating, three out of five stars. If you like this kind of movie, if you liked Saw 1, 2, or 3, you're going to enjoy this one. Um, it's not as torture porny as the other Saw movies. All right, that's a movie that is out. Let's talk about some movies that are going to come out in trailer takedown we post them or i post them in the discord usually the saturday before we record so that's so you can watch them when you want maybe you watch them all then you listen to the episode you listen to the episode you watch them all or you watch a trailer we talk about it so on and so forth first trailer well you're gonna hit the way to step on it william (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't know what just happened there way to step on it william trailer takedown First trailer. Rumble Through the Dark stars Aaron Eckhart doing his best impersonation of Andrew Lincoln as Rick Grimes in The Walking Dead. And if you've seen The Walking Dead and you've seen this trailer, there's no way you're going to get that out of your head. Because I swear to God, if I close my eyes, it would just sound like Andrew Lincoln. Now, what's happening in this movie? Uh, He's a former fighter who gets himself into trouble and then is forced back into the cage I guess that's what happens. I don't know. This looked like it's trying to be more artsy than it is, but it's sort of like if you've ever seen The Wrestler by, um, crap, I can't remember, the awful director of The Black Swan. William, who? Aronofsky. If you've ever yeah, seen okay. The Wrestler by Aronofsky, it's sort of like a less naturalistic version of that where this seems like it has to be naturalism and it's also when you were talking about archetypes this totally leans into the archetype of or the stereotype of all southerners who live in small towns are these backwoods ignorant hicks so i feel like this is a movie that people would think i would like but i actually was very put off by this trailer tackle tackle this felt so pretentious, Justin. That's that's just it. Just felt. So I'm glad you said that. I was dancing around that word. I couldn't. I had to blurt it out. Tackle. Tackle. Second trailer. The Beekeeper is directed by David Ayer and stars Jason Statham. In it, Jason Statham's character is the beekeeper for a woman who is killed unjustly, and then he goes around and he kills a bunch of people. Yes, that does sound very much like John Wick. Uh, there's a John Wick element to this in which he is like, I guess he's both literally a beekeeper and metaphorically a beekeeper in that like he's a trained agent that when government fails to enforce morality. Oh, look at that. Oh, wow. He has to come in and enforce it. So there might be some moral issues with this movie. I mean, I don't like I. I saw the Meg 2 and it was strangely environmentalist. So apparently Jason Statham's going the uh, on deadly ground direction of Steven Seagal. But still, David Ayer seems to be relatively moral most of the time with this this approach. He seems to be more like government is bad. And, you know, I, I like a lot of what he's he's done. Bright wasn't a great movie, but it was enjoyable. And 
you know, I liked his version of Suicide Squad, what we saw of it. Um, so Jason Statham can kick butt. So for me, this is a, uh, I'll put it as a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. Yeah, guns, explosions, all the things that you want to see in a Statham movie. But yeah, I, I, this one is the least well interest the 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 lowest hug that I've given. I think for one of these kind of movies, so it's a very very light hug. Hug. Third trailer. Thanksgiving is directed by Eli Roth, and it's sort of like Santa Slay starring Bill Goldberg, where they're taking. Thanksgiving and they're taking all the trapping and aesthetics of it and making it into a horror movie. The only problem is in Santa Slay, like the idea of using Bill Goldberg as Santa Claus shows that this is all wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and it's over the top on purpose. Whereas this entire trailer is just like, look, here's a killer who kills people on Thanksgiving. And if you read the description, the guy's name is John Carver, but in the trailer, it's just like there's a pilgrim going around killing people on Thanksgiving. I just don't get it. Like, the the trappings of Thanksgiving for a horror movie it is not enough for me. There needs to be more going on here. You know, the idea that Bill Goldberg is Santa Claus and he's a demon that was cursed into giving presents and now his curse is up so he wants to kill people... Like that, there's at least more going on there. Here, it's just there's a pilgrim named John Carver who kills people, and it's Thanksgiving. Why do I care? I, it might just be a very poorly made trailer. But then again, I've never been an Eli Roth fan, so tackle. Tackle. That's not the biggest crime in this. Justin, she murder closing the, the store. Crime. She's closing the restaurant, and she's leaving the three compartment sink full. She'd be fired immediately. No wonder John Carver jumped out and killed her. Tackle. Tackle. Final trailer. Silent Night stars Joel Kinnaman as... And again, I don't know what really is going on in this trailer. Um, He's a guy who gets his vocal cords removed by accident or on purpose and then goes around killing people. It doesn't look like there's a lot of dialogue in this movie. So... It says it's directed by John Woo, who brought us John Wick. So, like the Beekeeper, I think this is designed to be like John Wick and and sort of mimic that kind of stuff. The best thing I can say about this trailer is about halfway through, I wanted them to stop the trailer because I felt like they were spoiling all the cool stuff in the movie. So, yes, I will see this, but I'm worried that the trailer gave everything away. So, this is a hug. Hug? Uh, can we get past war season? Can I, I, I just, uh, this just looked really boring to me. I'm sorry. Maybe it was all the other ones before, but after the Thanksgiving one and getting angry at the, uh, three compartment sink, not being drained. I just couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't get into this one, Justin. So tackle. Tackle. All right, William, that brings us to the end of this episode. What did we learn this trip? Always empty the three-compartment sink before you turn the lights out, or John Carter will jump out and stab you. Carver, sorry. Carver. (laughs) Justin, what did you learn this week? I learned that I want to see a John Carter versus John Carver crossover movie. (laughs) 
because in the trailer he kind of looks like the guy who played John Carter, doesn't he? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. So make that happen, Eli Roth. All right, that brings us to the end of this episode. I want to thank everybody for listening. If it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking into the corner of my closet like a crazy person. I mean, it's still me that doing that, but I use the word just there because it's more than that. Uh, if you want to support me going insane, go to themidside.com slash store, pick up some merch, themidside.com slash Patreon, themidside.com slash locals, and support us. That's how we keep the lights on. And of course, the best way to grow the friend grow the friend grow a friend grow the show you can grow a friend and then tell them about the podcast and make them listen to it but the surveillance (laughs) state might stop you but just cut out the middleman tell a female friend of course telling a female friend might help you grow a friend aka a child so yeah (laughs) it's a lot going on here this concludes your journey into the midside i'm justin emosneski reminding you that if things get tough Take a step back and witness the farce. Have a carver-free day. What am I... Former friends from back in the day in Baltimore has a brother named John Carver. So maybe, uh, maybe this is an autobiography. Uh, has he ever invited you to Thanksgiving at his house? No. Sounds like you dodged a bullet to me, or a hatchet, Ooh. or a blade of some kind, and definitely a dirty three-compartment sink.